following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Yeah, Luke chapter 19, story of Zacchaeus. Uh, last couple stories of what's called the journey section in Luke. Uh, much of the journey section, Jesus has been locking horns with religious leaders and Pharisees. And uh, it seems as if nobody really gets who Jesus is. Uh, and most of the journey section is, is kind of discouraging, really. If I was Jesus, you know, I'd be kind of wondering. Um, but uh, I love how Luke ends with two uh, powerful stories of people who got it, who came to salvation. And we looked last week at the story of uh, the blind man who was healed, clearly got who Jesus was, and uh, Jesus pronounces salvation over his life. Uh, the second story is, is about Zacchaeus, also an encouraging story of salvation. So let's read. And sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint too complicated switching computers and all. So you'll actually have to check out your Bible or your phone, some other device, and read. Um, follow with me as we read uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Um, it's really important that we read and understand this story in its context. Um, and and the 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 context here is uh, some is the stories leading it up to it. And uh, if you've been listening and been here, you'll know that just recently we talked about a very similar story of another rich young ruler, right, uh, who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you remember in that story, it did not end very well, right? The rich young ruler uh, is confronted with his own love of things more than love for God. And because of his love for his wealth and his riches, it says he leaves Jesus very sad. Uh, and Jesus' comment at that time is he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who could be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Right? So, so Jesus says, it's really hard. In fact, he says, it's basically impossible 
for rich people to get saved. Right? So when we read uh, Zacchaeus, and, and Luke says he's a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector, he's very wealthy. Right? The first thing that we, got, we, got, we have to think in the context is what? Well, this guy's not going to get saved. Right? This, is, this is one of the impossible ones that Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right? Uh, he, was, he was a very rich man. So, can Jesus save a guy like this? Well, of course, you know at the end of the story, cheaters, you looked ahead, right? That Jesus is going to save him. But this story is really about Jesus doing the impossible, right? We're supposed to look at this story uh, with this idea that this guy is not going to be an easy one to save because of the grip that wealth and, and the idols of this world have. And, of course, when Jesus said it's impossible for man, he doesn't mean just rich people, but he really means salvation is impossible for any of us, humanly speaking. So right off the front, as we look at this story, it, it tells us something about how we need to look at it. And it's real important because oftentimes Zacchaeus gets taught in a way that really is kind of contrary to what Jesus is actually teaching here. All right. We're really not to see this story as a story about a guy who was seeking and found Jesus. This, this is really not a story about how Zacchaeus was the supreme seeker, right? Who, because of his diligence and because of overcoming obstacles, like being short, um, he overcame his shortness and he found Jesus. That's not really what this story is about. Really, this story is ultimately about how Jesus found Zacchaeus, right? It's really a story of Jesus seeking, as he says, seeking uh, and saving that which is lost. So let's, let's look at this uh, and see how Jesus does the impossible, because it, it's, it's the impossible that we need as well right, in our life, as Jesus seeks and saves that which is lost. Um, so Zacchaeus is an impossible case. Uh, but, but Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, right? And uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. But first, let's get some of the background. Jesus is passing through Jericho, same city, uh, the last story with the blind man. Uh, it's, it's the last real stop before Jesus enters Jerusalem. So it is the end of the journey. And, and uh, at the end of chapter 19, it's going to shift gears. And the focus is going to be Jerusalem and, and much more the impending time of the cross. Um, and it says Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And Jericho would have been a main uh, trade route that goods came in and out of, out of uh, that district of the Roman Empire. And so a tax collector wasn't like collecting in- income tax. They were really customs officers. And they would tax goods that would be, were being imported, brought into this region. And so as they would come into Jericho, they would have... Uh, kind of an immigration checkpoint, if you will. And they would check people's carts and their bags, and they would find everything they could think to tax. Don't you love customs, right? Don't you love it? Love it? And, and honestly, how many of you, when you're coming back from your home assignment and you've got your 900 suitcases packed with all kinds of stuff, you're just praying that the customs officers are tired and don't want to go through your suitcase, right? Because you know if they checked all the stuff, you, you'd pay, you know, huge fees. Well, these guys were diligent, right? And they made their money off of how much custom duties they charged. And, and uh, Zacchaeus wasn't just a, a typical customs officer. He was a chief customs officer. 
So he was the one who hired and managed this team, this, uh, this crew of customs officials. And so he was very wealthy. And, th- and these guys were known as being huge, hugely corrupt, hugely corrupt. And their money was gained partly through fair duty, but largely through corruption and through cheating the system every possible way they could. So Zacchaeus is, is known in this town as a tax collector and as a crook. Right? And we'll see it later in the story when the crowd grumbles that this guy has a reputation of being a sinful, vile, corrupt official. Right? He was a Jew, which made it even worse. Right? So that's who he is. And he's very wealthy. Right? If it's impossible to get saved... Uh, if, it's, if it's easier for an eye, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, for in, in Zacchaeus' case, it's a really big camel and a really little needle. Right? Okay, it is impossible. Right? This guy has the longest odds of coming to salvation, both because as a Jew he's a corrupt sellout to the Romans. Uh, to Jesus, he's under the idolatry of wealth and materialism. Uh, but it says about Zacchaeus that he, he wants to see Jesus. He is very curious about who Jesus is. And it says uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was of small stature. Um, the, the English translations really don't bring out the, the emphasis of this verse very well. Um, and really the sense of it, uh, if you were to translate it literally, is like this. It's, and he was seeking to see Jesus... Who is he? Who is he? Right? Uh, it's not that he's just curious about this famous guy passing through town, although it's part of it. But Zacchaeus really wants to know who is Jesus. Who is this guy who's, claimed, who's stirred up so much excitement and so much conversation and so much talk? Right? Uh, his, his agenda is to know who is Jesus. Who is he? What is he like? What is his mission? What is he about? And in the the backdrop of all this, there's and through the journey section, a lot of people have had some interest in Jesus, but very few have asked the question, who is he? Uh, It's been more like who we want him to be. And there's a huge difference, right? And you see two groups kind of working this out. The first group is the religious leaders, uh, the, the Pharisees, the the scribes, the, the religious leaders in, in, in the day, and they knew who they wanted Jesus to be, right? They had a preconceived idea of what he should be if he was a true rabbi and good teacher, right? He should be righteous and an adherent of the law, understanding it the same exact way they did. And so throughout the journey section, they're testing Jesus to find out if he's what they what they expect him to be. Uh, does, does Jesus fit in the box that we have for him of righteousness? Does he keep the Sabbath like we think he should keep the Sabbath? Does he tithe like we think he should tithe? Does he live out the style of righteousness that we are, are the supreme example of? Right? And so the, uh, the Pharisees have a very preconceived idea, idea of who Jesus should be if if he meets their standard. And they're not really interested in who Jesus really is, right? They're only interested as far as he fits in their box. 
And the crowd is really the same way. And we see throughout this, and again in this story, they're grumbling and complaining because Jesus is doing things that they disapprove of. He is not uh, the Messiah that they expect. Right? They, they're looking for a Messiah. They think Jesus might be that Messiah. But they're not looking for a Messiah who's coming to lay down his life as a sacrifice who will die on a cross for them. They are looking for a political reformer who will overthrow the Romans and who will deal with crooks like Zacchaeus, right? Who will uh, bring reform and bring justice. But uh, it's very much, again, their box and their idea of what they need Jesus to be. They don't really want to know who he is. Instead, they have a plan for Jesus' life. And if he's willing, they will squeeze him into that box. But Zacchaeus is different. Zacchaeus wants to know who Jesus is. He has no agenda. Right? He, he doesn't come with the preconceived ideas of the religious elite, nor does he come with the agenda of the crowd. He comes, it would seem, sincerely seeking just to know who Jesus is. Um, do we seek to know who Jesus really is? Um, are we seeking to know God as he presents himself, as he reveals himself to us, or are we like the religious leaders and the crowd in Jesus' day? Are we out to make God in our own image? Well, the reality is that the world, uh, which, by the way, the world is, is very religious at the moment, right? People are, are, are extremely religious, but they are making God in their own image, right? They're not asking, who is God, and we will take him as he is. no. People are saying, no, this is what we want God to be. And if he's a God worth worshiping, he'll fit into my box, into my image of what I need him to be. And if he doesn't, doesn't, I'm not interested in him. And, of course, that's the way the world always is. And that's why, uh, why the world is blind to the truth of who God is. They cannot see him because they do not want to accept God as he is. But it's also a problem for us as Christians. Um, of course, if, we're, if we have faith in Christ for a believer in Christ, God has opened our eyes and, and we have seen truth about him. But it is amazing to me how many people in the church and in, in, in Christianity still are very selective about the truth they accept about God and Christ. Right? Uh, do we really want to know who Jesus is, who God really is as he is? Or do we really want to shape and selectively uh, create an image of God that fits our taste? Right? Do we do this? Do we sometimes squeeze Jesus into our own agenda? What well, we do, right? and if we're honest, we need to be aware of the fact that we don't always really want to know who Jesus is, who God is. Uh, one of the... I mean, here's an example. I'm going to get myself in huge trouble, so I'm going to try to say this carefully, right? Because I always get myself in trouble around this one. Uh, if you are from a democratic society, which some of you are from, from Asia, not quite so heavily democratic, you won't connect with this. But those of you who come from very, very Western democratic cultures, societies, right? Democracy is, is, is uh, modernly defined as everybody is equal, Right? And when everybody's equal, there is no king. Or to put it more accurately, in a democratic society where there is no single king, I get to be king. Right? 
Everybody gets to be king. And if everybody's king, I don't have to let anybody tell me what to do. Right? I have the privilege of not submitting to anybody. And uh, the way democracy in the modern world gets, gets uh, interpreted is, is nobody has the right to tell me what to do or how to live my life. Right? And recent news events kind of illustrate that. Right? I can do whatever I want. And nobody can, can interfere with my lifestyle or my choices or, or whatever, right? And that's kind of the pinnacle of what democracy is in our modern world. And so when we, when we come to passages of Scripture where we talk about submission, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, all of us should be in submission to church authority, right? We are saying that God is a God who set up an order in the universe where he rules. And actually, he has the right to tell us what to do. And as followers of Christ, we are to live in submission to him. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you straight out. If I, anytime, anytime I preach on wives submitting to husbands, I get hate mail, right? I get death threats, right? Because um, it's not popular, right? People don't like this concept, this idea, this notion that the part of relationships, and it's true for men as well, by the way, men need to live in submitted relationship to authority over them. Right? We don't like that. So what do we do? Well, we skip over those passages. We find ways to dismiss those truths and say, well, that's not the God I'm interested in. I want a God who's all loving and kind. He's not in this thing about telling me what to do. Right? God was a loving God. He would just you know, recognize my right to do what I want. Right. Well, we do this as Christians, right? Do we really seek to know who God truly is? I'm telling you, if you seek to know God, who, who God truly is, there will be things about God you do not like. Okay? I guarantee. Right? Because he wants to dismantle your life. And that's never fun. Right? <clears throat> Um, we need to seek who God is. And that's where Zacchaeus was at some level. We'll see in a minute there's some glitches to his problem, to his, his thinking here. But, but, but we should want to seek to know God as he is. But of course, uh, uh, Zacchaeus had problems because uh, as much as he wanted to seek and see who Jesus was, he was too short. Right? A couple of big obstacles. The crowd was crushing. You know, as Jesus gets closer to Jerusalem, huge crowds. Uh, Zacchaeus is a short guy. There's no way he, he sees. I'm not going to be able to get close enough to even get a glimpse of Jesus, right? So as we know, he um, uh, ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. Um, he's not going to be thwarted by obstacles, uh, and he overcomes the obstacles by quick thinking and determination. He climbs up in a tree, so he's in a good vantage point to see Jesus pass by. Um, all sounds great, and we could stop the sermon right here, and we could, we could, we could teach the application that everybody who's diligent, who overcomes obstacles in their life, and who really wants to see Jesus bad enough, if you seek Him, you will find Him. And Amen, Hallelujah, God bless, go seek Him. Right. However, that is really not what the story teaches. Right? It is not the message of the story. And, and there's, some, there's some glitches in Zacchaeus' plan. And the first one is this. 
Um, <clears throat> problem number one, what is he really going to learn about Jesus by climbing a tree and watching him walk by? Right? How deep is his knowledge of Jesus going to be from sitting in a tree? Right? That's true, granted. You can, you can get a sense of people by how they walk and how they, you know, we, we do that, right? You mean like people watching, love people watching? You ever walk at people and you go, ooh, that person is so proud, you know, uh, watch out because lightning's going to start because they just walk proud, right? Or you see another person, you go, that person's just really insecure. You can see how they walk, really insecure. Uh, if you've lived in Thailand for very long, you've probably had Thai people come up to you and say, you know, without ever meeting you, without knowing you, just looking at you and say, are you a missionary? Anybody had that experience, right? We kind of stand out, you know. Uh, believe it or not, we don't look like the average tourist. And the way we carry ourselves, praise God, there's something different about us, right? And they, they you know, we're not hiding here, right? They kind of get, oh, you dress differently, you walk differently. So, yeah, there's things you can, you can learn from seeing somebody, some of you, some of you guys, maybe, you know, the first time you saw your wife, she just walked by, right? And it's like in that moment, you knew everything you needed to know about her. And you, you were off the deep end in love with her, and you had to marry her, right? And that's all there was. You didn't even, you didn't even know her name. didn't matter. You saw all you needed to know, right? Well, uh, that, may, that may work for falling in love, but for, for knowing Jesus... That's not enough. That's not enough. The things that Zacchaeus needed to know about Jesus, he would not learn sitting in a tree. Right? It would be inadequate. Uh, at the very least, he should follow him and go listen to him teach and at least hear what, what he has to say. Right? Um, so, so even though his incentive motive is good, his methods are are weak at best. His methods are weak at best. If this is his whole plan, I'm just going to sit in a tree and watch him walk by, and I'll figure out who Jesus is. Okay, not enough, right? And that's the problem with man-made uh, efforts to seek Jesus. They're all about that effective, right? Because, uh, as we saw in the previous passage of the blind man, we are spiritually blind, we are spiritually unable to see who Jesus is. And our best efforts on our own are never going to be any better than climbing a tree and watching him walk by. Right? The things that we need to know about Jesus, the truths that are vital to our salvation, we can never know through our own human effort. Right? No one ever comes to Christ by seeking him purely on their own. Now, it's not to say people don't seek him, and it's not to say that you know, some amazing testimonies of how God shows up. But it's never on our initiative alone. Right? It's never on our seeking, on our intellect, on our figuring out who Jesus is, our, on our seeing him with human eyes. Scripture is clear that we are spiritually blind. Second problem, he was a rich man. Right? He was already a man known to be well entrenched under the idolatry of materialism and greed. Uh, he wasn't just a rich man because, you know, he kind of fell into him, right? He was a rich man who got to the position he was in because he knew it was lucrative even though it was corrupt. Uh, the crowds and Jesus himself uh, understand he's a wicked, sinful man. Right? He is not a good person. 
And if we've learned anything through this journey section is that there are no good people. Everybody is fallen and sinful before God, defiant of his rule over their life. And that's, 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 that's Zacchaeus. It is impossible for him to come to Christ on his own. So what's the rest of the story? Well, it's the story of Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. And real quickly, let me just run through this. Uh, verse 10, Jesus summarizes how we're to understand the story this way. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, that's how we're supposed to understand what happens in the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save what is lost. Zacchaeus is lost, and salvation has come to his house because I have sought him. How does Jesus do that? Well, first it says, when Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus is in the tree, Jesus looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love this. Huge crowds, people everywhere. Uh, no doubt there's people in all kinds of buildings and, and uh, you know, Zacchaeus wouldn't have been necessarily obvious in this tree. A little obvious maybe, but... Um, uh, and, and Jesus passed by lots of people. Right? He didn't stop at every spectator on the road. But Jesus stops and he identifies Zacchaeus and he calls him. And he calls him. He says, I must stay at your house today. That must is what theologians call a divine necessity. Right? It's a special word that means... It was a divine appointment that God had ordained that Jesus would meet Zacchaeus. Right? And he calls him by name. He looks up to him. He calls him by name. Now, we don't know how Jesus knew his name, uh, if God revealed it to him, or if you know, people were saying, yeah, look at Zacchaeus, dumb, rich guy up in the tree. How ridiculous he looks. We don't know. Uh, doesn't matter. Luke doesn't make a big deal of it. What's significant is that Jesus knows Zacchaeus, right? It is personal. And his call to Zacchaeus is not random or generic. It is very specific and very personal. Zacchaeus, I must have uh, a relationship with you today. Right? And he says specifically, he says, I need, to, I, need to, um, I need to stay at your house. Again, the translation really misses the emphasis. Uh, the word stay or remain is the word that's used there in John for abide. He says, I must abide with you today. And there's a lot of meaning in those words. Jesus is seeking relationship with Zacchaeus. Jesus wants to reveal God to him. And there's only one way to do that. And that is through a personal, intimate relationship with him. He says, I need to go to your house. I need to abide. I need to dwell. I need to hang out with you. Because the only way you will come to really know who I am is not in a tree watching me walk by. It's not even listening to me teach as, as helpful as that would be. Ultimately, you will come to know who I am through a relationship with me. And Zacchaeus, I'm going to make that relationship happen today. I am going to your house to dwell with you. And what Jesus has in mind, I think, is way more than just spending the night way more than just a sleepover. Okay, as fun as that is. Uh, he wants to ab abide eternally with Zacchaeus. Right? I want to come into your heart and your life to dwell with you. Um, 
And it's through that relationship that Jesus will reveal the fullness of who he is to Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus will come to fully understand who he is. So Zacchaeus hurries down and and joyfully receives him and they go to his house. Uh, And we don't know what all happens and the story is a little confusing. Are they still under the tree? Are they at the house? Clearly they go to the house because the next line it says, uh, well, the people are grumbling and that's what makes it a bit confusing. When they saw it, the people grumbled. He's gone to the guest of a, of a man who's a sinner. Um, we don't know if you know, they're grumbling as Jesus and Zacchaeus walk away and Jesus hears this you know, in the background. What's significant is this. For Jesus to go to his house, Zacchaeus was a noted sinner. Okay? His re- reputation was one that would have disqualified Jesus from eating with him unless one thing took place. And that is that Jesus forgave him. Jesus' act of going to his house is an act of forgiveness. Zacchaeus' reception of Jesus joyfully is an act of of receiving Jesus, of welcoming in his his grace and his forgiveness. Now, presumably, Jesus explained a lot more. We don't know what Jesus told him. Um, But we do know is this. at some point it says Zacchaeus stood. Okay, so it gives a picture of you sitting down, probably eating a meal together. Zacchaeus jumps up. And with great enthusiasm and excitement, he proclaims to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will restore it four times, fourfold. Okay. Indeed, salvation came to his house. Right? Zacchaeus had been a man who had lived under the bondage and slavery of greed. But being with Jesus was life transforming. It it rocked his world. And entering into relationship, coming into communion and fellowship with Jesus, turned his world upside down. So that he jumped up and he said, Hey, I just had a revelation. I'm way too rich. I am way too greedy. And there's poor people all over who could be blessed by my generosity. Jesus, from this day on, I'm going to start being an extremely generous person. I'm going to start giving away my wealth. And it doesn't mean here just his income. The word that's used here means everything he possesses. He says, I'm going to start giving away up to half of everything I own to bless poor people. You see, he was no no longer a prisoner of the greed and stinginess that made him hold on so tightly to money. He was free. And he said, you know, I've cheated a lot of people. And if I know who I've cheated, if I can find it and figure it out, I'm going to restore four times. The law required twice. I'm going to restore four times what I have stolen. He's a new man. He's a new man and a new person. And Jesus says, Uh, Indeed, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. A couple quick things we need to remember in closing. Um, If you are in Christ, if you have relationship with him, it really is because he sought you. 
And at some point, you know, the light started coming on, and, and at some point you started to get a vision of who Jesus was, and Scripture started to make sense. And you responded in faith. And part of that response is maybe you sought Jesus. Maybe you started going to church. Maybe you started reading your Bible. Maybe you started asking questions, right? So from our experience, oftentimes what it feels like is that we, yeah, we, we went looking for Jesus and we found him. This story is a great reminder that the, the reality is uh, our seeking was, was inadequate uh, and incomplete until Jesus sought us. Jesus took the initiative. It was Jesus who came and gave his life on the cross. Jesus reached out to us. And he didn't do it because we were worthy. Jesus did not look at Zacchaeus and go, look at that cute little short man. Just have a place in my heart for cute little short people, right? Who happen to be thieves and crooked and, you know, greedy. No. Nothing about Zacchaeus that drew Jesus to him other than, God's love for the lost. Same thing's true for you and I. God looked down and he saw our lost state, but he chose us. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should live holy, that we should be holy and blameless before him. All right? Here's the deal. God chose you. God sought you. God chose you before he created the world. It's hard for any of us to, to trump that one. Right? Oh, yeah, well, 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 never mind. Right? Um, before he created the world, he sought you. And he chose to reveal himself to you. He sought to send Jesus for you. It's vitally important that our faith rests on the preeminent work of Christ, not on how wonderful I was in seeking and finding him. At the same time, we are to seek him. We are to seek God. Uh, Psalms, I think it's 104, 105 says, um, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek him continually. We are to be people who seek God. Uh, but we seek him because he sought us first, right? He's opened our eyes. Uh, are you seeking to know God, who God truly is? And every day you should be seeking him through fellowship and communion. You should be seeking uh, to be in deeper relationship with him. Because the only way you will really know who God is is through relationship with him. It is not enough just to study theology about him. That's important. But he wants to communicate himself to you through experience. Imagine if if marriage was simply a matter of exchanging your profile with another person and uh, you you only ever connected by sharing information about yourself and never actually met and had a relationship. (laughs) Okay, how meaningful would that be? Well, if you're into facts and trivia, it might be, right? Um, But that's really not what a relationship is, right? It's not just about knowing information about a person. It's about doing life together. Uh, He wants us to know him in a way that we do life with him, right? Uh, But here's the deal. 
you're not going to like everything that comes along. Right? There are things about God that are hard and that will clash with our pride and our stubbornness and our self-will. Uh, having a relationship with, with your spouse is hard enough, right? Uh, in many ways, having a relationship with God is much harder because he always wins. <laughs> he always wins. Um, and it requires absolute surrender to his lordship. But it is life transforming to know him. Right? I love it. Here's a guy who had been up to this day in his life a, a thief and a crook and a cheater and greedy. And in an instant, he is transformed. Now, that's not to say that there weren't still a lot of areas of change in his life, right? But knowing Jesus was life-changing. The way your life will be transformed to be more like him is to walk with him and know him, right? And the result of all this is that we really should be very grateful, thankful people, right? We should be people who are in awe that God chose us, that God chose us. That he reached out from heaven and he called you by name. And he said, I want you to be my child. I want to be in relationship with you and I want to know you. And I want to be known by you. And in Christ, I'm revealing myself to you. Praise God that he wants that kind of relationship with us. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.